Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of For Real is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Stuck at home with nothing to read and unable to browse the bookstore? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so they're an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat yourself and support an indie too. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Sign up only takes a few minutes. You'll answer a couple of questions about what you like to read and what you're looking for, link to your Goodreads profile, and then you are done. Each TBR delivery contains three titles in the recommendations-only level or three new hardcovers, and you'll receive a new shipment every three months. Give your bibliologist feedback, update your requests to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. So visit mytbr.co to sign up today. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. We're recording on Friday, April 24th. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Oh, I am managing as well as can be expected, Kim. How are you? <laughs> I feel like, yeah, pretty much the same. I am just getting by in the world of a pandemic. That's how we do. Yes. We're, I was just telling you right beforehand, I was like, let's talk about what we've been up to as if I'm doing something <laughs> like really exciting. I was immediately yeah. after I said that, I was like, I'm watching 30 Rock for hours on end, just like mm-hmm. staring at Hulu. And that's about it. Honestly, a friend of mine, desan- like not desanitized, sanitized a puzzle and is going to drop it off like in my bushes out front or something. She was like, I'll like <laughs> fling it at your house as I walk by. That's what I've got going up. Yeah, uh, I have been watching a lot of television and uh, playing a lot of Animal Crossing. Uh, I just, I didn't beat the game, but I got to like the, like the one achievement that you're trying to really get. And then before the game like opens up and you can do whatever you want. And I finally did that today. Uh, So now I, uh, I I can do whatever. Um, We did a puzzle exchange with my parents. So uh, they drove to our house and then they uh, stepped out of their car and stood behind it. And then we went to the car and took the puzzles out and then walked back to our front door and sat out there and they sat on the other side of the car and we talked to them for a little while. Uh, That was, it was very sweet for the puzzle exchange for Jenny, my sister. But yeah, that's where we're at. Wait, so for Animal Crossing, what is the goal? So uh, you get your island and then you like do all these, expand your house and whatever, but you're trying to get this... um, musician called K.K. Slider to come and do a concert on the island. And so you have to do all these tasks to try and um, make the island more appealing so K.K. Slider will want to come. And I really thought that was going to take me I mean, it did take a long time in the sense that I put many hours into Animal Crossing in the last two weeks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
but maybe it didn't take as long. It doesn't feel like it took a super long time because it's only been two weeks. So anyway, he comes and plays the song and uh, the concert. And then once he comes and plays the concert, then you get these additional things you can do on the island. But then after that, it's basically just like goof around all the time and do whatever you want. So that's where I'm at now. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's Thank you. very Thank exciting you. to have, you know, achieved that task. Yeah. They even like play credits for you as if you've like beaten the game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when really like it's just sort of, yeah, it's just an open-ended game, right? So you kind of can do whatever you want. Uh, and now you can really do whatever you want. So this was very enlightening. By the next time I might have like built myself a castle or something. Who even knows? <gasps> I've only ever played the app, so thank you for mm-hmm. sort of elucidating what everyone seems to be doing nowadays, because I had no insight into it. Yeah. Okay, so let's real quick, Kim, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, Okay. which is Flatiron Books, publisher of Saigon by Fook Tran. So this is appealing to fans of coming-of-age memoirs. Such as Fresh Off the Boat, which I believe we've talked about here, mm-hmm. Running with Scissors, or Tales of Assimilation, like The Displaced and The Refugees. So let me tell you about this book. Saigon. Oh, I get it. Saigon. Okay, so the book is spelled S-I-G-H. <laughs> I'm always the last to get these sorts of things. So it's S-I-G-H comma G-O-N-E. But okay, so what this explores is one man's bewildering experiences, this is actually very serious, of abuse, racism, tragedy, and reveals redemption and connection in books and punk rock. So really difficult, you know, like backstory, hence this whole like comparison with running with scissors, but then this sort of, you know, books, which we can all (laughs) relate to, of course, and then punk rock, which I admire people who are really into that because I have not been able to find my wedge into that community yet. So this is against the hairspray and synthesizer backdrop of the 80s. He finds solace and kinship in the wisdom of classic literature, and in the subculture of punk rock, he finds affirmation and echoes of his disaffection. In this journey for self-discovery, Tran ultimately finds refuge and inspiration in the art that shapes and ultimately saves him. So each chapter is inspired by a classic work of literature, which is a conceit that I love, And uh, his family immigrated to America from Saigon in 1975, so hence the title. Saigon is a coming-of-age story. It's about assimilation, self-discovery, music, and literature. Thank you, Flatiron Books, for sponsoring us. This book sounds great. It does sound great. You did such a good job talking about it. It sounds awesome. All right, so for this week's um, nonfiction news, there's only I only found one because like nothing is happening uh, except you know everything. So uh, this uh, article is from the Hollywood Reporter and it is about how Connie Burton and HBO Max are teaming up to create an All the Single Ladies documentary. All the Single Ladies: Unmarried Women and the Rise of an Independent Nation is a book by Rebecca Traister that came out a few years ago. I think before the 2016 election, but I might be wrong about that. Do you remember? I don't remember, but I'm going to look it up right now. Excellent. So, and it is a book uh, when it came out that examines how unmarried women had been a societal force over the history of the United States. And so Connie Britton's production company will produce the project and it's set to debut on May 27th, which is awesome. Oh, yeah, it is published in 2016 here, it says in the article. In March. March 2016. So uh, interesting book, right? Because like in 2016, in March 2016, we all thought Hillary Clinton was going to be a president. And so this book had, I think, one had a vision, I think, uh, and that has not entirely come to pass. So that's interesting. 
But anyway, so uh, this uh, documentary that's coming to HBO is the first nonfiction project that Connie Britton has done as a producer. Um, she has been a producer on a Bravo show and the ABC drama Nashville. Uh, she starred in both of those as well. And so she uh, is going to be joining to do that for on HBO Max, which I think sounds really exciting. So you read this book when it came out, I believe, right? I did. It was really, really good. Um, she kind of gives a history of single women in America and then also talks about just sort of like their place in society now and just like all these awesome things about just like social science and feminism and I bought her second book Good and Bad and have not read it yet but it's definitely on my shelf because I liked all the single ladies so much. Yeah, I have that one on my shelf. I read her book. Her She had a book in 2010, actually, before both of those called Big Girls Don't Cry, which is all about the 2008 election. Um, and I read that one and really loved it. But I have not read All the Single Ladies Are Good and Mad yet. Mostly because I think like by the time I got around to reading them, I was like, I don't know if I can handle this. But at this point, I mean, maybe I can handle it because everything else is so insane now. <laughs> That's the spirit right there. <laughs> um, I do want to point out, by the way, first of all, Connie Britton is an angel. Secondly, oh my gosh, yes. um, her thing on Bravo was Dirty John, which is based on the podcast Dirty John, which is a true crime story. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. So some more nonfiction there, but not a not a documentary, more just, you know, like a fictionalized account of the true story. Mm, makes sense. Do you, uh, did you watch Friday Night Lights ever? No, it's such a cultural thing that I keep meaning to like get into it, but now I fear that the time has passed. It's possible. I don't. I don't know. Anyway, she's really good in that too. On top of like all the other things, she's amazing in. Yeah, cool. I'm really excited about this. So, and we don't actually have to wait that long for it. I assumed that it was going to be out much later, but May 27th. So that's really cool. Really soon. Yeah. So hopefully we can watch that. That'll be exciting. All right. So that is our our nonfiction news. Is a documentary coming to HBO Max. It sounds fun. And so with that, we will grab our second sponsor. So our other sponsor for this week is Book Riot Insiders, which is the digital hangout spot for the Book Riot community. So uh, with Book Riot Insiders, you can enrich your reading life while you're stuck at home. Um, we've got new perks, three levels to insiders, short story, novel, and epic. And you can try any level out for free for two weeks. Uh, the highlight of Book Riot Insiders is our new group read hosted online, available to all epic members. And there's no cap on epic, so the more the merrier. Each quarter will read a book voted on by Epic subscribers that will fulfill at least one task with the 2020 Read Harder Challenge and cap off the read along with a live chat. But wait, there is more. Get the full details on this and all of the other Book Riot Insiders perks and sign up at insiders.bookriot.com. That's kind of fun because if you – I have friends who have never been part of a book club and if you mm. want kind of like a really easy entry thing into a book club, then there's like a book chat for you. Yes, and I also like that – the thing that I always struggle with book clubs is the, like, choosing of the books. Like, for some reason, that part of book club I just don't like at all. <laughs> and so this one, like, you get to vote, but then, like, the book gets chosen and there you are. And there's no, like, debating with people about what the books will be. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So with that, we will move into uh, new books. Uh, so this is new books coming out in the next couple of weeks, previous couple of weeks that we are excited about reading. So um, my first pick is called What We Carry, a memoir by Maya Lang. And this one comes out on April 28th from Dial Press. And so Maya Lang grew up idolizing her mother, who was a physician who had immigrated from the United States from India, completed her residency, and all while raising kids. Um, and so her mom had always just been, like, this really strong sense of support. She'd always been there for her kids, and Maya felt like she could really, like, count on her all the time. And so 
In the beginning of the book, her mom uh, inexplicably and then suddenly decides to leave her very prestigious job and take one that's much less prestigious, but that her mom, that has a pension. And this is something that her mom like keeps bringing up and keeps bringing up and she can't figure out like why the job having a pension is suddenly like such a big deal for her. So uh, Ling has her first baby and she wants her mom to come out and help her and her mom just refuses and becomes really just unavailable to her. And so she's trying to like understand like what is going on with my mom, this person I have counted on while she's also dealing with her, you know, new baby and struggling to kind of find her place as a mother. And in the midst of that, she discovers that her mom has Alzheimer's and that's why she has suddenly started to act really differently, that the pension is important because of that and that she is afraid to travel because she has Alzheimer's. And so the story is, is about that and about their relationship. And as they are kind of navigating their new relationship as her mother is losing her memory, um, her, she starts to tell her these secrets and stories about her past that Maya, that Lang has to kind of consider and relook at their relationship and how that affects them. Um, and so it's about moms and daughters and relationships and about how um, how we care for one another and how we have to kind of work to understand the people in our lives that are family. And I uh, read several chapters of this one, and I it was funny because I read it, um, I, I read the summary of it a long time ago, and I was like, oh, this one sounds great. I'm excited to read it for the podcast. And then I didn't reread the summary before um, I just picked it up. And so I had forgotten a lot of what was happening. And so the, the whole beginning of the book, I'm sort of like, why is why is her mom being like this? Like, what is going on? And it really like was kind of a surprise to me when I got to the part where she's diagnosed because I just didn't remember that. And so I, it was very compelling, like trying to sort of understand what was happening in the way that the author like just didn't understand what was happening in her relationship. So um, it's very beautifully written. I think regardless of what any of our relationships are with our mom, I think all women have had at one point complicated relationships with their mothers. And so there's a lot in here about that as well. So um, I thought it was really excellent and I'm very excited to keep reading it. So that is What We Carry, a memoir by Maya Lang. Just in time for Mother's Day. So Indeed, yes, that is that is correct. I started getting all those emails in my inbox about like, do this for Mother's Day. And I'm like, don't wait, is this give us more time or less time? I don't know. Or just oh, don't gosh, send it. Yeah. I'm getting a lot of like socially distanced Mother's Day and I'm like, what? <laughs> is it all from florists? Oh man, I don't it's just a lot. <laughs> just a lot. No, this that sounds really good. Karen Kilgariff on My Favorite Murder was talking about having a mother with Alzheimer's and how sharing that experience with others is kind of like really not cathartic. That's not right. But just like a a, mm -hmm. a, a real sort of release because especially people who have, yeah, also experienced that knowing just like how hard and painful it can be. So that's awesome that she was able to write this. <laughs> kind of in the same vein, we picked some heavy books this week. I know. Did I? <laughs> Did I pick any lighter one? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, so my uh, first new book for this week is Good Morning, Destroyer of Men's Souls, a memoir of women, addiction, and love by Nina Renata Aaron. It's on April 21st from Crown. I really like this book, and I... I really liked the title because mm -hmm. Good Morning Destroyer of Men's Souls is, um, you know, got like a little snappy ring to it. But also, and the cover is very beautiful. I started reading it and I didn't, I had no idea what it was about. I just knew it was nonfiction, liked the title. So it's basically her recounting of, you know, her life, but also her research into addiction and codependency. But and I feel like we have a lot of those types of memoirs. And one of her points is 
that a lot of these books that we have that are memoir style are by people who had been dealing with addiction and not the people who had been affected by it. And so her book is mostly about kind of the codependent relationship that happens between um, an addict and the people in their immediate circle who are taking care of them and who have this codependent relationship with them, because that's the dynamic that she had with um, first her sister and then her partner, who she calls Kay, uh, in the book. So she starts off like talking about their relationship and, you know, like how that kind of played out at the beginning and like this sort of like charming way that they met where she was like their waitress and then was she a waitress no they met at like a record shop where she was like selling him a record and she like made fun of his you know it was like just this very cute thing and you sort of see the way that this led to this point where she ends up repeating the same dynamic she had with her sister who was also addicted to i think the same drug which i don't want to mention just because of you know potential triggering stuff but which, by the way, yes, trigger warning for drugs in this book. So if you can't handle that, definitely do not. But uh, it's really well written. She also spends a lot of time looking at kind of how addiction, I would say, overwhelmingly impacts women, like in terms of the people who, are, who end up being the caretakers, which I think, given our society sort of dynamics, is not surprising. But she talks about the history of that. She looks at the temperance movement, which I have a lot of interest in uh, because of the Women's Christian Temperance Union of the 19th century and kind of how they were actually, you know, dealing with complete sort of powerlessness as not being able to vote, not being able to really earn a living wage at all at that time, and then trying to um, speak up for themselves in the face of alcohol at the time was the main thing. And just be like, this, like, we need to ban this because it is causing all these problems and like abuse and poverty, etc. So anyway, so she looks at this research and talks about her own life. And it's really compelling. And again, really well written. So that is Good Morning, Destroyer of Men's Souls by Nina Renata Aaron. That sounds really excellent. And yes, you are correct. The, the cover of it is really cool. Um, definitely like looks like a different kind of book, but in a good way, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. So my second pick is uh, called The Compton Cowboys, The New Generation of Cowboys in America's Urban Heartland by Walter Thompson Hernandez, which also comes out April 28th, uh, this time from William Morrow. Uh, and so this is a book about uh, a group called The Compton Cowboys, which is a group of African-American men and women who, uh, quote, defy stereotypes and continue the proud centuries-old tradition of black cowboys in the heart of one of America's most notorious cities. Thompson Hernandez is a reporter, and so he comes. He grew up uh, in uh, Los Angeles near Compton, and so was familiar with the Compton Cowboys when he was a kid. And so he comes back to do some reporting on them as an adult. And um, there are ten black cowboys who live on this ranch in a. Um, it's like in the middle of this like formerly kind of rural area close to the city uh, that now is not quite as uh, rural as it used to be. Uh, and so the original group of cowboys was formed in 1988 um, called the Compton Junior Posse. And they were the point was to provide local kids with a safe alternative to the streets, but also kind of connect them to the legacy of black cowboys in the United States. And then over time that has changed. And now there are men and women who the ranch and the horses provide camaraderie, respite, healing, and recovery from incarceration. I picked this one up, and I think this says more about me than it does about the book, that I was thinking, like, this is going to be, like, kind of a fun romp about, like, cowboys in the city, uh, which is 
not at all what it is. And that is not a criticism of the book at all. Like, it's just like my misplaced expectations. And it is it is interesting. But also like just anything writing about Compton, right, is going to have a lot of um, difficult stuff in it. And that is a tough place for people, a tough place for people, many um, ethnicities and all of that. And there's a lot of just complicated relationships and history there. And so um, the relationship that these cowboys have with the community and all of the people who are currently cowboys have with the community is all very complicated. And but really, really interesting and interesting about how this group has kind of provided a a place for people to go to try and escape from or avoid or heal from some of the things that have happened. Um, And so I I haven't gotten super far into it, but um, I just think that it's one of those stories that I had not heard anything about. And then when you hear Cowboys in the Middle of Compton, like you just want to know more about what that is about. And so I'm really interested to kind of keep going with it, but definitely more serious than I maybe initially thought when I first saw the title, which is a good thing, I think. So uh, The Compton Cowboys, The New Generation of Cowboys in America's Urban Heartland by Walter Thompson Hernandez. That's definitely a great hook, you know, mm-hmm. into, into a book. And I've seen the photos of that. And you're, yeah. I, I get why you would think it would be more like lighthearted based on those photos. Because aren't they wearing like kind of traditional, did I mind making that Yeah. Up? Okay. Yeah. No, it, the cover is really striking because you have these black men, I think, and women on horseback on the front of the cover. And it, he talks about this in the opening of the book that, like, grappling with black cowboys means you also have to grapple with white cowboys and what white cowboys did in the United States and how they damaged and oppressed and, you know, caused problems for people. And so you're trying to kind of bring those two things together. And so there's something sort of, like, odd and, like, hmm about it. And then, it, but the story has a lot more to it than that, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. My next new pick is Becoming Kim Jong-un, a former CIA officer's insights into North Korea's enigmatic young dictator by Jung H. Pak. So first off, when we're recording this, Kim Jong-un is maybe dying. It's very unclear. I looked, um, I was looking him up on Google News, just like while I was, you know, writing up about this book. And I have been avoiding the news due to the state of the world. And I just, you know, trying to like filter in whatever I can when I can. And so it was all all this stuff was like, will his sister take over for him if he is, you know, like gone? And I was like, wait, what is happening? Because all these reports were from like the last two days. So he is apparently missing in the sense that the world news does not know where he is. It's possible that by the time this episode comes out, everything's fine and they found him. But um, as of right now, no idea. Anyway, just with that as a little preface. Okay, so the book Becoming Kim Jong-un. I was really interested in this. So um, Jung H. Park, she used to work for the CIA in, you know, gathering intelligence and sort of synthesizing it, trying to create some kind of picture. It was, She talks about at the very beginning about how kind of like job listings for CIA agents. It's it's like you have to put together a puzzle and you don't know what the picture is and you don't know what the shape of the puzzle is. And also there are pieces from other puzzles in the puzzle box <laughs> along with like everything else. And, uh, and that's like what your job is. I thought that was a really good sort of, you know, descriptive way of talking about what she does. So she gives, her whole point is to kind of give this illustration as far as can be had of who Kim Jong-un is. Um, Going into this, I knew very little about North Korea. I know that's kind of the general idea is that very little is known about North Korea. But 
I knew about uh, Kim Jong-il and I knew about Kim Jong-un. I did not even know about Kim Il-sung, who was the first sort of communist leader slash autocratic head of uh, North Korea coming out of World War II. So a lot, it was, it's been really, really good in terms of giving this grounding only starting in the, I'm going to say 1880s, maybe 1890s, talking about Korean, uh, Korea's history, North Korea in particular. There is some about South Korea and, you know, specifically like, talking about the Korean War when like North Korea invaded South Korea and then like we got involved and like all of this stuff. But talking also like going from that history and talking about Kim Il-sung and how he set up the first sort of communist hereditary leadership, right? And like how they handled that passing of power because that had never been done before where you had a communist leader have like their child take over. And how that was successful and how it appears to have been successful also for Kim Jong-un, so being the grand uh, son of Kim Il-sung. But basically, so she's talking about also the background of these children and what their growing up was like and how they have like, there are like hundreds of homes throughout North Korea while also simultaneously North Korea is like having a huge number of problems in terms of like feeding its population and it's trying to self-maintain when it can't. And it's, you know, historically been dependent on like China and Russia. And then what happens when that aid starts drying up? I don't know. It's like so many things <laughs> like that she's giving you information about that I feel now so much better informed than I was prior to this book. So I really recommend it, even if, you know, it is immediately upon coming out almost not obsolete, but a little outdated in case something has happened with Kim Jong-un. But again, it is called Becoming Kim Jong-un, a former CIA officer's insights into North Korea's enigmatic young dictator by Jung H. Pak. That sounds very fascinating. It really is. Yeah, that sounds so good. Even if maybe he's not around anymore. We don't know. Um, that sounds very North Korea that like their leader might be very ill, but like nobody knows anything about it. <laughs> That's the whole point. So I have a couple, two more just really quick mentions of other new books that are out recently that I thought sounded interesting. One is called No Justice in the Shadows, How America Criminalizes Immigrants by Lena Das. Uh, and this is a book that looks at kind of how um, immigration law and just like our general criminal law, particularly like drug offenses and that kind of thing, how those two things intersect and how the, um, the idea of the criminal immigrant, um, which is something that both Democrats and Republicans have kind of used as a criteria for um, deporting people. If you're a criminal, then you shouldn't be here. Um, how that idea of the criminal immigrant has kind of been overused and um, is starting to be used as a way to just deport people all over the place for no good reason. So that sounds, sounds really interesting. And then um, the other one is called The Golden Flea, A Story of Obsession and Collecting by Michael Ripps. Uh, and this is a book all about the world of flea markets, um, which sounds like perhaps the most rompy book of the ones that we may have talked about this week, but I didn't get a chance to read any of it. So just wanted to mention it quickly because it did look really fun. Oh, and my uh, quick mention book is Earth Almanac by Ted Williams, which is like a bunch of nature vignettes. He writes for Audubon magazine, and he talks about like how um, having a straight diet of exposés and activism is a prescription for burnout. So this book is basically just like, let's talk about these lizards that all have these different colored throats and how they interact and like how a coyote walks. It's so sweet. And yeah, it's called Earth Almanac. That sounds really delightful. All right, so with that, we'll shift gears into our theme this week. 
And so we decided this week, since what we are primarily doing is watching a lot of television, and we imagine that that is true for many other people who can't go out and are also just like stressed about the state of the world, uh, we thought we would recommend some books that you could pair with some of the shows that you may perhaps be marathon watching right now, um, or you are avoiding and would like to learn about the topic. Here's a book you can read instead. So uh, that was the idea. So we'll see where this all, where all this all goes. Uh, you're first. I am. Um, so I picked Tiger King, despite still not having watched Tiger King. Although someone, was it you? Someone did a good like kind of breakdown saying that there wasn't really animal abuse shown in it, in which case I think I can maybe handle it. Oh, I think one of my friends on a Skype call told me that. I have not watched Animal King either. Tiger King? Or Tiger King. Tiger King. <laughs> Someone make a show called Animal King. Oh, that'd be amazing. So my, uh, I had two pairing books for Tiger King. Uh, one is The Tribe of Tiger, Cats and Their Culture by Elizabeth Marshall Thomas. She covers the evolution of 30 cat species and talks about things like a cat societies, which she says functions like a wheel and like the head cat is kind of in the, the hub of the wheel <laughs> and then the other cats operate around it. She also talks about uh, physical and uh, behavioral sort of things of the cat family. She says that cats in all their sizes, including tigers, have some extremely strong commonalities, which, you know, if you have ever uh, watched your cat pounce on something and then also watched Simba in The Lion King <laughs> pounce on something, it's very similar. Yes, this is the zoological reference I'm quoting. And then also talks about cats are territorial. Oh, what I thought was interesting was that she says zoos are bad for tigers because tigers need to be stimulated, which I'm sure all cats do. But like, it seems that something with tigers, like extra stimulation required. Hmm. The other book that I am pairing with Tiger King is No Beast So Fierce, the terrifying true story of the Champawat Tiger, the deadliest man-eater in history by Dane Hucklebridge which this story is in 1900 in Nepal, one tigress killed over 400 people, which, oh my gosh. So over 400 people is almost impossible for my brain to wrap around, despite that not being in general a huge number, but good lord. So the book basically says that this happened because this tiger had been shot in the mouth, and then she started going after easier prey which were which was humans, um, which is the same story as the Lions of Tsavo from the Ghost in the Dark uh, in the Darkness, a film with Michael Douglas. Because they when they looked at the teeth of those lions, they found that they were so bad, basically, that like chewing would have been really hard or difficult or something. And basically the normal animals they would have gone after, it would have been really difficult for them to do that. So they started attacking humans, is the theory. So this book, uh, by the way, despite being called like, you know, the terror, like deadliest man eater in history, etc, is not pro hunter. And so it's supposed to be very compassionate towards the tiger. But again, that is No Beast So Fierce by Dane Hucklebridge. Excellent. Those are good picks. And lots of people have watched Tiger King. So hopefully they will be excited to read more about tigers. I have not watched it, but uh, that's okay. So another uh, popular TV show to marathon uh, has been forever and probably will be forever uh, is The Office. Woo! Yes, I do love The Office. I actually haven't rewatched The Office in a long time. Oh, I don't know. I don't know why. Like I think I've gone back to Parks and Rec and other stuff, but I haven't gone back to The Office in a while. Parks and Rec is too emotional, Kim. Mm. <laughs> Gotta do The Office. You know what? I think it's because like Parks and Rec is a little kinder than The Office, and I haven't wanted to like 
the office is a little mean for a while. Yeah. Until, yeah. And Michael is hard to deal with. But anyway, lots of people marathon the office, so I have a couple of office-related picks to suggest. The first one is The Office, The Untold Story of the Greatest Sitcom of the 2000s and Oral History by Andy Green, uh, which is one that you have talked about before, I think in like maybe one or two episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Because it's new. It just came out this year. And so it is a, a oral history that tells uh, untold stories behind the office, uh, told by creators, writers, and actors. It starts from the origins on the BBC, how it was adapted in the United States, um, goes through the whole run of the series with research and interviews with casts and everybody talking about it. And you really like this one, right? I do. As the show goes on, the, the crew gets saltier and saltier about the cast, <laughs> which is, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> It's a little distracting. But throughout it, everyone considers Steve Carell like basically Jesus come again. Like they're all like (laughs) just saying how amazing and wonderful and kind and et cetera he is. So that was nice to hear. That's really funny. I wonder what was happening that everyone got saltier. I don't know. Interesting. Um, So my other pick is an older book and it's called Cubed, A Secret History of the Workplace by Nikhil Saval. And it is a history of the white-collar world and how it came to be the way it is and how the white-collar world might change in the future, which is a really interesting book to be reading right now um, because it came out in, I want to say, like 2014 or 2015. And like I feel like in this moment, we're in a very – like we're in a huge shift for work and the way that people work. And I, I wonder like how this book might change if you tried to kind of incorporate how things change after this whole moment when everybody's being told to work from home or – all these different things. So anyway, the book starts basically with like the clerks of the 19th century thinking like Bartleby the Scrivener um, and talks about how the organization of uh, shipping offices and clerks offices were then and how that kind of changed over time and how the the shape and uh, structure and organization of offices affected work and how theories about work affected the way offices were designed. Um, so there's an interesting chapter on the idea of scientific management and so all of the ways in which like we we tried to use science to optimize the like mechanical production done by people and how then scientific management grew to mean we needed like HR and other kinds of management in our office, which means when we needed to have more office workers. And so all of that changed um, how women starting to work affected the way offices are structured, how skyscrapers developed and why we kind of have things built that way, all that kind of stuff. And so it's a lot about um, spaces and how people exist in those spaces and how the design of spaces affects the work that people do. And yeah, it's really interesting. It's it's funny, too, in like a very nerdy way. And it does feel a little weird to be reading it now when just like so many of, like I said, notions of offices and work are being just upended right now. Um, but I think it's still really, really interesting to think about um, how space and work and people kind of all played off each other as the idea of like the modern workplace evolved um, since so many of us work in offices now. Like what... How does how did that all happen? And that's what this book is about. So, Cubed: A Secret History of the Workplace by Nikhil Saval. I have added that to my to reads list on Goodreads. Basically, give me a nineteenth century reference, and I'll be like, oh. (laughs) So when you said Bartleby the Scrivener, I was like, perfect. I love Bartleby the Scrivener. (laughs) I will now read that. My other kind of streaming pairing. We probably have a snappier name for this particular segment, but anyway. 
is so Mrs. America came out through FX on Hulu um, on April 15th, I believe, and they dropped the first three episodes. This is all about the defeat of the ERA in the 1970s, um, primarily by Phyllis Schlafly, played by Kate Blanchett. I watched two episodes and I had to stop because I was so disheartened because I, you know, you know what's going to happen because they start out the sort of second wave feminist now like National Organization for Women group. They're all very jubilant because it seems like it's an easy win. And it was until Phyllis Schlafly got involved. So the series starts in 1972 when she began her opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment, which is an amendment that would guarantee equal rights for men and women as opposed to not having that spelled out right now. So it's hard to, you know, use basically constitutional precedent to support those kinds of, like, cases. So in 1972, she began this campaign. The ERA had already been ratified by 28 of the required 38 states. Seven more states ratified the amendment after Schlafly began organizing opposition, but then another five states rescinded their ratifications, and it failed with ratification by 35 states, so three short. The ERA, they started working on it in 1923. Like, Alice Paul, who was uh, crucial to, you know, getting the 19th Amendment passed, Votes for Women, at like that was passed in 1920, 1923, she and Crystal Eastman started the Equal Rights Amendment, and Alice Paul fought for it for the rest of her life. And I get I get very worked up about this. <laughs> so I decided to find some books to pair with this if you were interested in learning more. Some are contemporary books. So I'm just going to go through them really quickly. Um, and then uh, one, I think, is a sort of history, like looking back. So obviously, The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan, the series, touch Betty Friedan is a character in it played by Tracy Ullman. And uh, Feminine Mystique focuses on white middle class women, but it was, you know, seen as this like wake up call basically for housewives who wanted more. There is also an autobiography by Angela Y. Davis, which came out in 1974. Um, Angela Davis is also mentioned on the show. I don't know if she appears. Shirley Chisholm definitely does. Um, I have not been able to find any good books about Shirley Chisholm. So if you find any, please ping me on Twitter. I'm at It's Alice time. And then Gloria Steinem, she's played by Rose Byrne on the show, and she does such a good job. <laughs> and I grew up with my mom basically hating Gloria Steinem. My mom was much more on the Phyllis Schlafly side of things, and um, which is weird because she was a very strong woman. But so was Phyllis Schlafly, actually. But anyway, so Gloria Steinem, she's a great character on this, uh, in the show. She Episode two is about her. And her book in 1983 is Outrageous Acts and Everyday Rebellions, which is a collection of her essays. Um, I would check that out if you want to read more about her. And then kind of like a looking back more of a history as opposed to a contemporary text from that time is When Everything Changed, The Amazing Journey of American Women from 1960 to the Present by Gail Collins, um, which is, again, it goes up to, I think, the 2010s, um, but definitely, you know, starts in 1960s and goes through the whole second wave feminist movement. Oh, and then I also wanted to recommend uh, one, uh, the website equalrightsamendment.org. And then the documentary, She's Beautiful When She's Angry, which is all about second wave feminism and does a great job. And it is on Amazon Prime. Excellent. Those are such good suggestions. Yeah, I, I keep seeing Miss America pop up on my Hulu recommendations. And I, I don't know if I will enjoy it or find it disheartening. So I haven't tried to, tried to watch it yet. Well, let me know. <laughs> 
I will. Um, all right. So the other thing that I often marathon because I find it oddly soothing, I would say, is p- procedurals. Um, whenever I am like in a point of stress, I always find a like procedural show to watch, and then I just watch it straight through constantly. Um, and this is no exception. I've watched a bunch of different procedurals that um, I'm a little ashamed to admit because they're actually like. The quality of them is poor, but I just find like the like episode where uh, like detectives or whatever like go through and solve a case. They solve it in forty five minutes, and you're like, "Hooray, it's done! <laughs> Things have resolved and are fine." Um, and but then there's like all this drama, and they have these messy personal lives and whatever. And I just love it. I eat them up. So I have two books that are like procedurals to recommend. The first one is Homicide, A Year on the Killing Streets by David Simon, uh, which is the book that was basically the inspiration for The Wire. So David Simon, uh, before he became a TV person, he um, worked as a reporter for the Baltimore Sun, and he spent four years working the police beat uh, before he took a leave of absence to write this book. Um, So he spent a year shadowing the lives of a group of detectives, one shift of detectives in the homicide unit in Baltimore. So he got like essentially unlimited access to these detectives for the year, Um, and so just wrote about every single thing that happened to them. And so this book becomes the inspiration for The Wire, although the book is a lot less about how institutions affect people. Like in The Wire, institutions are sort of the thing that people are always pushing back against. That's less present in this book, but it's just, it's so great. It's written in this really cool way. It like is very in depth with these detectives, but then also he backs up and does these very sort of like literary writery things that are really fun to read. Um, and just like very into the reality of police work and case numbers and, uh, case, you know, statistics and all of that kind of stuff. So it's really good. Pretty dark, but really good. And then the other one that I uh, found recently that I liked was called Forensics, What Bugs, Burns, Prints, DNA, and More Tell Us About Crime by Val McDermott. Uh, And this is a book from 2015, and it is all about forensic scientists, which are perhaps my favorite part of every procedural show because they're always the weirdos, and I love it. So she goes uh, in the book, she interviews professionals, um, she looks at research and does and kind of takes her experience covering crime and writing about crime and brings it all together into this book. And so she goes through various different types of forensics and how they show up in crime scenes. So stuff like trace evidence and like arson and fire evidence and autopsies. And she gives like a history of those different techniques and then looks at how scientists actually currently use that evidence to solve crimes um, and then goes on from there. And so it's super cool because she is a mystery writer. So she has this very good like literary kind of flair when she's writing about stuff, but she also lets the people she's interviewing really have space. So like there's a lot of really long quotes from these scientists and stuff, which I really like because it sort of feels like she's giving them their voice and she's not spending a lot of time kind of interpreting what they're saying. Like she's just letting them sell that to us and tell us their stories. And then the other book by her that I really want to read, but I don't know how I'm going to find a copy. She wrote a book in 1995 called A Suitable Job for a Woman, which is a book all about female detectives. And I really want to read it, but I tried to find it on um, like different bookstores and it is very expensive to buy or not available because it's a, you know, a nonfiction book from 1995. So anyway, procedurals, that's my thing. And there's, there are many books about that are procedural related, but those are the two that I was excited about. So that is, uh, that wraps up our books for things you might marathon. So hopefully I would love to hear if people are marathoning TV, what they are watching, because I'm running out of obvious options and need to get creative pretty soon. So (laughs) what is it that you are watching right now the most? Like the, well, the most is definitely 30 Rock. 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of going along with the Parks and Rec is too emotional thing. Uh, 30 mm-hmm. Rock is like, it's 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 mean. It's a mean <laughs> show. <laughs> Which I think kind of goes along with what I've heard about Tina Fey. And at times it's very like, oh gosh, you guys. Like they say stuff where you're just like, no. But there are so many things that are so funny and that I found hilarious when it first aired. And I, like, remember watching when the episode came out and, like, dying <laughs> over. So there was, like, one thing that, like, made my brother fall off the couch. Like, we had to pause <laughs> it. And I just, like, I just, oh, I love her. I also just started a show starring Josh Hutcherson from The Hunger Games um, called Future Man that came out in 2017, which sounds like The Last Starfighter, where he, like, is really good at a video game and then might, like, go, like, to that. Like, the video – it might be, like, Ender's Game, too. Wait, not Ender's uh, Game. But you know what I mean? Where, like, the mm-hmm. guy goes into the world where the video game is actually important and all the time he wastes playing the video game is real. So maybe that could happen with you in Animal Crossing. And you <laughs> will be taken to a place where you have to, like, set up this island for a concert. Uh, and they'll be like, oh, my gosh, Kim, only you could do this. Only you could do this. Yeah. I mean – one of the things you can do in Animal Crossing is fishing, which, like, in Animal Crossing, I like doing. In real life, I hate fishing. So um, I don't know if Animal Crossing was my real life, if I would um, if I would enjoy it very much. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. So with that, we will close the show as we normally do by talking about the books that we're reading at this moment. So tomorrow, uh, April 25th, is uh, the 24-hour readathon, which is a chance for book nerds around the world to spend the entire day reading. Um, I've never successfully read for 24 hours. I'm too old to stay up all night like that, but I try to read for most of the day. So um, one of the nonfiction books I'm hoping to pick up is called A Field Guide to Awkward Silences by Alexandra Petri. Uh, and she is a humor columnist for the Washington Post. And she is very funny and so good at political satire. And this is just a kind of collection of personal essays about um, auditioning for America's Next Top Model, going on Jeopardy, just uh, just lots of weird kind of life experiences and putting herself in awkward situations and then writing about it. Um, and so I think she's very funny and smart. And so I'm excited to kind of pop in and out of this one, I think, tomorrow while I'm reading other books. Um, I have also never succeeded at Dewey's 24-hour readathon. Oh, no. Because how can you? I don't understand how anyone can. You can't read, do like nothing else. You can't do anything by itself for 24 hours. I'm just flummoxed by how <laughs> anyone can claim that this is possible. Maybe I'm too strict with my definition of like continuous reading. I think it's maybe just like to have read something in every hour of the day, which I usually go to bed because I'm tired. If that's the thing, then that's more doable. Because I always saw it as every single second you have to be reading. And I was like, that is impossible. No, I've never taken it that way. But Okay. Well, okay. So I'm also going to be trying to, you know, participate in some way. Um, I'm currently reading In the Woods by Tana French, which I've never read any of her stuff before. And it is so good. I've just heard like people talk about how great she is. And I was like, finally, I shall, you know, explore the first of the Dublin murder squad or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. And like, I can't believe it's her first book. She's like, and I, I keep waiting. I'm like, I, I keep trying to figure out, like, who the killer is, but also I really want to be surprised. So, you know, she's doing a great job so far of just, like, keeping me on my toes. Okay. So with that, uh, we wish you all the best in these troubled times. <laughs> Should you wish to chat us on social media, you can find me at It's Alice Time. You can find Kim at Kim the Dork. 
And if you feel so inclined and have a few minutes, uh, uh, you can go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, Doing that helps people find the podcast more easily. And while you're there, you can subscribe so that you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the 4 Real Podcast. Mm -hmm.